You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even Welcome, listeners. You have made it to the right place. This is Making Data Simple. Only the really smart, attractive people listen to this podcast. So if you're not one of those folks, you can, I guess you can disconnect now. Otherwise, we're going to continue. And we're going to continue on with the beautiful people, the beautiful people. Um, <laughs> and speaking of beautiful people, I guess, I don't know, Greg, are you one of them? Greg Bonnet is here for a podcast interview. Hi, Greg. Hi, how are you doing, Al? Thanks for having me. <laughs> Yeah, you're, that's you're, totally you're, uh that's up for debate uh, <laughs> <laughs> you you've got to be one of those people or we wouldn't have you on everybody's beautiful that comes on here no i'm just having fun so look um you're the vp of data and analytics strategy uh with ironside you're also the cdo and cto at that company um i'll, I'll give you a quick lead in and then i'm gonna turn it over to you You've been at Ironside, to my understanding, like 13 years in, in several different roles, including principal consultant, VP of product management. Um, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, but is there anybody else doing anything over there? Because if you've got CDO, CTO, analytic strategy, hell, you've got the whole C-suite right there. I'm, I'm talking to him, <laughs> am I not? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a bit of an inflated uh, definition of my role there, but um yeah, it's been a 13-year journey working uh, in consulting and working in data and analytics. Uh, I've done a lot of different things in the space. Uh, today, or, or more often these days, uh, I spend most of my time you know, working directly with clients and, and really trying to understand the broader data and analytics landscape um, in terms of technology and methodology. Um, I, I would say I'm not a CTO or CDO for Ironside per se, but I, I do play that role on a part-time basis when I work with my clients. So, so think of kind of a, a part-time CDO uh, or advisor in a client-facing capacity. Um, and then kind of internally facing, really, uh, it is a lot of um, understanding what the new trends are in the marketplace, new methods, you know, staying up on the R&D, and then informing our different uh, practice areas and our different delivery teams um, and architecture teams um, as to what those are and, and how we can kind of bring those different methods to bear to solve for our clients' problems. So what I know of Ironside uh, is that you're in the business to make you know, drive better business outcomes. And I know, at least I think, and, and you guys, or you can correct me, uh, I know that you're organized around six pillars, that's strategy, governance, architecture, data, analytics, and skills. But how do you describe Ironside? Yeah, you know, Ironside is a, excuse me. <coughs> I would describe Ironside as a business problem solving company. Um, you know, we are, you know, hyper fixated on outcomes for our clients, uh, delivering value, uh, understanding what their critical business issues are, and then trying to help understand and map how they could use their data and use different analytical techniques uh, to help achieve those outcomes. So that, that's fundamentally our mission. Um, we do use a lot of really cool tech. We have a lot of really smart people. Um, and we bring all that together and, and we, we help and implement really smart process as part of that. Uh, but ultimately, we are totally aware that what we're doing and the technology and everything is a means to an end. And, and that is the outcome, the positive outcome for that business. 
So is this consultancy? Is it is it driving specific solutions through consultancy? Do you build any products? We don't build any uh, you know off the shelf products. We don't have any software products um, in a in a traditional sense, like someone would think from buying buying from a vendor. Um, but what we do is is we're a solution provider. So we partner with really smart companies uh, like IBM. Um, we integrate technologies, and then we build business applications on top of those platforms. Um, so that's how we execute. And then kind of leading that in, we also help devise strategy. So we'll have a customer typically um, might raise a hand and say, you know, these are my business objectives. Uh, these are the challenges that we face as a business in our marketplace or what our goals are. You know, how can we get there? How should we use our data? How should we organize our people? Who should we hire? How should we design process and govern our information? And we help them devise a strategy to do that. Um, and then also an executable roadmap that's sequenced in the proper order to deliver value um, at a pace that's, that's reasonable and, and that will get them to the goal as quickly as possible. So I like the plug for IBM. That's always good. Appreciate that. <laughs> and uh, you're out of the Boston area, is that right? That's correct. Yep. We're based out you're of You're not Lexington. a freaking Pats fan, are you? You're not uh, a Pats fan, are you? You know, I, I always like to think about that in terms of, uh, so I, I grew up in the bad times of the Patriots. So I, I know the good <laughs> and the bad. And I also am not delusional to the fact that the good can't last forever. So... <laughs> So that, that's that's a carefully worded way to say, hell yes, I am. That's what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember the bad times, but now the good times, I can't remember the bad times because every year you guys are, are winning something. So, jeez, uh, I don't know. And I, I'm a Chiefs fan, so you didn't help. Oh, man. I mean, it's killing me. That was an, one amazing, of these days. One of these days. Um, an amazing game, though. Probably one of my favorite games of the season and, and or in a few seasons. That was excellent. You guys have a very bright right. future there. So. I actually think that was the Super Bowl, right? I was at that game. Oh, um, wow. But wow. Pain, painful. But it was a great game. It's just that we didn't get the flip. But yep. that's okay. That that happens. So, you, you again, you are the vice president of data analytics strategy. Now, you, you, you are not – you are or you're not the chief data officer or chief technology officer? Uh, you know, I would say um, – if you're thinking semantically, I, I play a CTO role for the organization. So I report directly to our CEO uh, and I, I provide uh, insight and advice to our COO and CFO and CMO and, and other CHRO uh, across the organization um, as it pertains to, you know, everything from methodology to talent to uh, how we go to market. Um, what markets we should play in, what industries we should develop expertise in, uh, what technologies we should, uh, you know, develop skills around and that, that sort of thing. So I provide strategic advice to the uh, internal consulting organization, and then I also am very client-facing in my role. So uh, that was my next question. So when we're talking strategy here, maybe you kind of answered it. Is this strategy internally or strategy externally? And in other words, helping clients adopt a strategy that maybe, I don't know, correlates with the strategy you guys are driving, or is it both? I mean, are you doing a little bit of everything there? They're, they're often one and the same. If we're going to organize our team to effectively deliver for our clients, uh, you know, we, we have a point of view and a position and a belief that what we're doing is good for, what's good for us is good for our clients or vice versa. Um, so oftentimes it's the same. Um, you know, if we okay. believe, you know, for instance, we have a belief 
and it's not necessarily novel, but we have a belief that that data science and machine learning and advanced analytics is how organizations will win and how they will compete in their marketplaces. And we believe that that's how many organizations will move the needle the fastest. Uh, And we believe that organizations need to provide access to these capabilities to more and more people within their companies and and their organizations. So, um, you know, we're structuring our people to be able to do that. um, And also we're enabling our clients to be able to do that on their own as well. Did I hit it right when I talked about the six pillars that you're aligned under strategy, governance, architecture, data, analytics, and skills? Is that correct? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that's that's fairly correct. That's kind of how we think about the world of data and analytics. Um, so, you know, you know, cutting across those those different concepts. There's got to be a vision slash strategy that you rally behind today. Like, for example, for IBM, for us, for data and AI, it's the ladder to AI. I don't know, you know if you're familiar with it, but essentially going from collect um, organize, analyze, infuse, and infuse meaning infuse machine learning. Can you characterize your strategy? I mean, the, the theme you stick with, I presume it, it can be tailored to any customer or business need and the problem as you spoke of that you're trying to solve. But having said that, what is your overriding strategy? Um, so we start with, we, we've developed a um, proprietary uh, industry benchmark and a maturity model around data and analytics um, that does uh, it does pull an organization across those six pillars uh, and our entire strategy practice and offerings kind of built around those six concepts as well so we believe a healthy uh, approach to to managing data and and doing analytics and and pr- producing decision support and optimizing business process uh, ultimately falls uh, rests upon those six pillars, those six foundational pillars, you know, strategy being, you know, you have a business strategy, you understand how you want to measure your business strategy and performance. Um, you understand how that translates to the data you need to collect and the insight you need to produce. Um, governance, meaning both process governance, as well as data governance um, and, and, the, and the tight uh, interconnection between those things. Um, those could be business processes, how you execute your core operational processes and the quality in which you do so, um, the quality and in, in in how you define your data and how you manage and assure that the data is what you define it to be in terms of data governance. Um, and then also the process governance around around data and analytics in general. So how you generate insight, how you manage things, how you deploy predictive models and how you manage those in, in production and uh, all those nuances and all the kind of process that, that is kind of meta process to data and analytics is in that bucket as well. Um, architecture being the technology and the infrastructure and your platforms, you know, predominantly we're talking about elastic architectures and cloud architectures these days. Um, data in terms of, you know, how you manage and capture and organize your data. Analytics being um, how you activate that data, the different methods and capabilities you use to do that, um, be it just classic descriptive statistics or perhaps, um, you know, something more advanced like deep learning, machine learning, um, anything that anyone's really kind of rolling into this AI bucket these days. And then, of course, skills. Um, you know, we are you know people-driven organization. Most companies are. It's really important that we have the right skills and the right reconfigurable and flexible skill set to be adaptive and to execute and to use these technologies and apply these techniques. Nice. I mean, so you, you, I mean, maybe this is an overused buzz word or, or 
industry term, but I mean, uh, does that just put you in the business to drive digital transformations for the clients that are, um, you know, seeking to, to transform their business? Is that, that a good characterization or, or no? I mean, in other words, are you in the business of digital transformation? Um, I, you could say that, you know, my, my big challenge there with a lot of these terms is, is the subjective nature of everything. Um, I think yeah, digital yeah. transformation means so many different things to different people. I agree. Um, you know, I would invite you to define it and I might be, yeah. able to, you know, what does that mean to you, Al? Um, and I, and I can digital transformation. Yeah. Um, so, you know, essentially what digital transformation means to me is being able to be a data driven business. And essentially what we call it, you know, I'm, I may butcher this, but, you know, I tried to align it in the maturity curve in terms of I, I try to align it in terms of the maturity curve from going operational to developing new business models that are customer experience driven and data driven. And when you're able to do that, you're able to drive outcomes uh, based on uh, that data, new outcomes that, you know, you didn't even anticipate. Usually it's predicated on artificial intelligence or, or machine learning, I should say. I think AI can be, we, I don't want to get into another definition with AI. But, <laughs> I was um, going to ask you that next. So. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, I'm sure you. So, yeah. I mean, it's really, it's driving outcomes based on, on data. And then what I often see within uh, digital um, transformations is then, you know, a lot of companies head towards subscription. That's where cloud becomes uh you know, very valuable too, because then you're able to drive outcomes on the client experience. You know what I mean? So the client rewards you with their, um, their dollars based on the client value you provide. I don't know if that's a good definition, but that's my definition. Uh, you know, based on the definition you provided, I would say, yeah, we're at the center of, of that definition of digital transformation. Um, you know, I work with organizations every day that are kind of making that move, uh, towards, um, you know, knowing their customer better, um, better personalization of a customer experience. Um, and a lot of that falls back down on, you know, matching problems, allocation problems, sorting problems, and, and we're using machine learning to solve for those. Um, and, you know, we're using those different methods to uh, provide better decision support to customers or better decision support to people that interact with customers, or in some cases to machines that are interact with customers on our behalf. So I, that was one question I had. I didn't see AI in there or machine learning. I presume that's under the analytics pillar. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we would put AI or ML under under analytics. Um, and again, that's just you know the semantics of our world is a bit. Um, everything is a bit subjective. So um, it's kind of funny. Every time I talk to a new client or anyone I'm having a conversation with in industry, um, we almost have to stop and say, okay, well, what do you call this? And, <laughs> you know, come up with our, our dictionary for the next, uh, the remainder of the conversation. And uh, yeah, for, for us, analytics encompasses AI, machine learning, you know, classic descriptive statistics and counting things and whatnot. So. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. So um, you talk about a proprietary benchmark. Now, is this, I'm thinking, a questionnaire for a client to figure out where they are in any one of those buckets or what I would call that digital transformation or I would call the maturity curve? Or am I completely getting this wrong? Oh, no, you're spot on. That's exactly it. So we, we've developed a survey, uh, survey product. Um, there's a version of that survey on our website. If you go to ironsidegroup.com and search uh, maturity uh, benchmark or data and analytics maturity in the search bar, you should you know, pop over to that survey. Um, that's a 
kind of a general implementation. What we use um, with our clients directly is a, a little bit more tailored to their specific industry or, or the context. Um, but fundamentally, there's normative data there that we've collected working with you know hundreds of clients over the last 20 years um, that we've used to kind of form our opinions and develop that benchmark. And, and that's a tool we provide to our clients to use on a continual basis. So um, we'll measure their um, where they're at and understand the sentiment of the organization, um, maybe when we kick off a data and analytics strategy engagement. Uh, and then we'll provide that service on an ongoing basis um, and give them the, the toolkit to readminister that and measure progress towards their goals over time. So does that mean when you have this benchmark, obviously by the sheer definition of a benchmark, speaking of definition, it will kind of tell you where you are in in the business, what opportunities you have, and it kind of outlines, uh, here's where you're at, here's where the possibilities of where you could be, and then you draw up a, a solution or a problem-solving plan? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it is contextual. You know, if if your score in your analytic maturity is, you know, could be between a one and a five, and you're ranking a, yourself a two, um, but really to be successful and achieve your business strategy, you only need to, to get to a four based on, you know, what we qualitatively define that to be and, and, you know, what the examples of that are, then we'll put together a roadmap and a plan to get you to a four. You know, it's, it's all about, um, you know, being fit for purpose and, and being prescriptive. And, and I think that's what's unique to our approach is we don't think everybody needs to be maxed out to fives everywhere if their problems don't necessitate that. So, so that's interesting. And all, all anybody listening would have to do, can they go out there? Is it, is it free to go through this, uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yep, yeah, absolutely free. Um, the way we have it set it up is you can share with your colleagues uh, at your company. And it, the more people that answer the survey uh, from your company, uh, based on your email address, actually, it will aggregate those results up. And so you can see what you said versus what, you know, an aggregate your peers are saying. Um, so it's a nice little tool. And uh, and it's a good sample of what, what it would look like to to kind of engage with us around those concepts. That makes sense. That makes sense. But it sounds like that it's better or it's, yeah, it's better suited if you have multiple, I don't know, maybe personas and or just most multiple individuals in or leaders in your organization that go out there and do the survey so you can put that together, aggregate and determine really where they are versus a one sided view. Absolutely. And I love that you use the, the term personas. Um, we have a healthy uh, dose of design thinking built into this process. So uh, we've developed a persona map for knowledge workers. Um, that's kind of part of this process. And, and those are people in you know different roles like data scientist or data engineer or data analyst or business user or decision maker or consumer. You know, these different roles that people play in, in how they interact with data and they're all going to have varying opinions about what it's like to work with data at your organization. So it's important that you hear from that cross-section so that you have a really true representation of, of what the challenges are. Because oftentimes what we see, you know, the executive or the decision maker at an organization uh, may feel like he or she has access to all the information that they need. And they don't realize the monumental effort that it takes to, to create that situation or create that environment. Um, so it's always kind of the, that classic analogy of, of the duck on the water, calm above the water, um, paddling furiously beneath. Uh, so that that's where we're getting a cross-sectional view of uh, what the sentiment is in, in the organization is important because then we kind of get, get to the real problems. 
this benchmark is interesting. I'm going to have to go out and check it out. What we do or what, you know, my model has been is, is what we call a maturity curve. And uh, kind of what I was referring to uh, previously when I said my butcher, the digital definition, but essentially it's going from left to right and follow me here because I got a question for you. On the very left side, if there's two quadrants, the two quadrants are about spending money uh, to save money. And then there's two quadrants on the right side, which is spending money to, to make money. On the left side, you start out with, um, you know, operations, back office data stores, that kind of thing. And then you move to the, the second quadrant, which is about warehousing. This is where companies say, look, I want to be able to... Uh, get my sales trends, my production yields. Uh, and so then they're thinking data marts, they're thinking warehousing, they may be thinking appliance, but they're, the opportunities there are, are, are data lake or, or Hadoop or maybe, you know, every, all opportunities are the cloud. Those are the first two quadrants. Then you move into what I would call self-serve analytics, which is the third quadrant, which is really, um, again, this is where magic starts to, to happen. Personas come in, application developer, data science. You're, you're giving, uh, you're democratizing access to the data. Uh, and then governance comes in and you've got to make sure that, you know, look, if you're going to democratize, democratize the data, you got to be able to protect it based on persona. Uh, and then people are starting to explore machine learning, Spark, you know, different things like that. Then it goes into the fourth quarter when you're able to build off those models. You're taking the machine learning models that you have, and then you're really putting everything together, and new business models arrive. And that's where I say the digital transformation really takes shape and because you're data-driven now, and you're, you're driving your business based on client experience outcomes. Um, those are the four quadrants as, as I see them. Is, is that how, I mean, it looks like you've got the six areas that are very much aligned with that, including governance, et cetera. Do you yeah. see that or anything you would edit? No, I, I think it's a very similar concept. I think what's important or, you know, what we found to be important in our experiences is that um, it's not necessarily always a linear journey and not everybody has the same path. Um, so, we tailor the approach to understand, you know, we try and get down to use cases. Um, part of this strategy is also developing a roadmap and identifying the specific business use cases. These are, are real business problems or questions in plain English um, where, you know, we're going to use analytics to provide better decision support. And we're going to optimize a business process. More oftentimes than not, it's a business process optimization um, exercise or business process invention exercise. If we're creating a new product or a new experience or entering a new market uh, with this new decision support uh, or data product, what have you. Um, so, you know, I always take, for example, um, you know, work with a number of insurance companies and insurance companies have been doing a great job of building models for, for decades and decades and decades. You know, I would say actuaries may be the original data scientists um, in, in a corporate you know, context. So um, they may be really, really strong in one area and may be doing machine learning as well for some more advanced, you know, underwriting or risk identification models on top of their standard, you know, GLMs and some of the, you know, regula regulated uh, ratings models that they have. Uh, but that doesn't mean that um, marketing has a 360-degree view of the customer or has self-service access to the information or has any of those capabilities themselves to understand marketing effectiveness or cross-sell affinity, et cetera. So just because you might have achieved a state of maturity or you might have 
leapfrogged, you know, if we're, we're looking at things in a linear model um, in one part of your business, it doesn't mean that you're universally there. And so that that's why uh, we take kind of a bit of a, a, again, a fit for purpose approach. Well, this tailors directly into my next question and why I gave you that big diatribe. And that is, where do you think most clients are today in your experience with, you know, your workings and the problems that you are solving? I would, you know, by and large, most clients today are, um, you know, still trying to get a, get a handle on organizing their data. Um, and some of them, if you're a kind of a mature business or a larger enterprise, you know, you've got an enterprise data warehouse and, you know, that may be working for you in some contexts, or if you're a bit more progressive, maybe you've gone down a path to building more of a data platform or a data lake, as some have called it. Um, and those companies have experienced some mixed results with that as well. Um, but by and large, you know, if I had to pick a, an average um, of where across all industries people are, it, it's really just trying to manage data and get basic KPIs and descriptive statistics about their business. And the, the, that that would summarize kind of the bulk of my client experiences. Um, and then now, you know, obviously, people are trying to push the envelope and really progress the maturity rapidly right now. Um, and what's really interesting about what's happening with AI and with data science is it is drawing attention to some of the major fundamental issues around managing data. Um, and it's doing so in a really great uh, context, I would say. So for example, when I started doing, uh, when I started this line of work, when I started in consulting, you know, almost 15 years ago, um, we were still talking about the data warehouse as the thing or the <laughs> BI platform as the thing, like that was almost, that was people were focused on implementing the thing and not the reason for implementing the thing. And I would say we did the same thing again as a, as an industry at large with Hadoop, you know, 10 years ago um, when, and that's just kind of the natural hype cycle of things is something comes out, a new concept, and people just want to implement that concept or technology without really understanding how they're going to use it. And I think what's really nice about this new, this AI revolution and how we have gotten a little bit over the top of that hype, uh, hype curve, and we're starting to kind of plateau a little bit is, is people are raising their hand and saying, you know, I want to do AI. Um, one, I need to understand specifically what that means for my business. Um, and then we get into these specific use cases and we're saying, all right, well, hey, if we build this risk identification model, you know, we're going to be able to to you know, lower your loss ratio, and we're going to be able to capture this revenue, and we would have avoided this you know adverse selection of this risk here, and, and we have concrete dollar value that we're assigning to each of these models or use cases we would build, and then we're saying, oh by the way, you know we need to manage our data better to be able to build these models, so we're building this really discrete funding model for better data maturity. You know, and we're doing it from the lens of how we're going to affect a business outcome through these different AI or machine learning initiatives. And I think it's a really smart, pragmatic, value-centric way to approach uh, improving your data maturity. So, you know, I fully embrace this kind of this this new paradigm and what's happening and the types of conversations we're having with companies these days. Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun. I don't know about you, but uh, it's certainly uh, an interesting space to be in. And I think we're pretty close in our answer in that uh, I think. Where I find on average, and again, that's, that's a, I stress on average because every client is different for good reasons, 
um, you know, like you say, somebody, somebody's threshold may be a four, as you mentioned earlier, and I think that's fine. It depends on what problem they're trying to solve, which I'll get back to in a second. But um, I think clients are still trying to go from operational data stores and like traditional warehousing to that self-service analytics. You know, some are farther along than others, but 80%, and it's no kidding, it's 80% or above are still spending time on wrangling data. Oh, yeah. uh, and and that's where, you know, in IBM here, we're really focused to make that as easy as possible so you can get onto the business decisions. But you led again right into a, a question that I, I've asked before, but I'm going to ask you again because I, I find it kind of troubling and not surprising yet interesting that um, you've got to focus on the reason that you're implementing whatever you're implementing. And a lot of times I find the clients I'm dealing with are just, as, as you say, we, we've got to get to Hadoop. And I say, why? I mean, okay, I'm good. We can help you get there. We can get you there quick. Uh, but what are you going to do when you get there? And it's amazing to me how many don't have that answer. Mm-hmm. I mean, a real use case and business problem. So I'm, I guess what I'm asking you is, do you find that? Or do they, by the time they, they, they hit Ironside, they've already got the use case? Or do you find that you're trying to round out and push that use case so you can really have a destination and a, I don't want to say a moonshot, but a North Star by which you can reverse engineer? Yeah, I would say most oftentimes when we're engaging with our customers, they don't necessarily know what the use cases are. Um, and that's, I think, part of the value we provide in the relationship. Um you know, different ways we might be engaging. Uh, uh, more often than not, we've actually had a, you know, more of these lately is, you know, the board says to the CEO, you know, what are we doing with AI? And, and CEO says to CIO, what are we doing with AI? And CIO says to the, you know, business analytics manager, what are we doing with AI? Or, you know, and, and you know, somebody calls and picks up the phone and calls us and says, what is AI? <laughs> and, um, and what should we be doing? And, and that really starts a conversation of, okay, well, well let's build a roadmap for AI for your organization. Um, let's understand what this means to you. What are the use cases? Um, where do you need decision optimization, decision support, automation, you know, if that's the answer in your business? And, you know, it's really kind of marching through their different operational processes and, and their different business initiatives and identifying and synthesizing what those use cases are. And then on top of that, if you look at it from an industry perspective, there are common use cases in each industry. You know, we, we would come in and say, well, here are the top 10 problems. If you haven't solved yet, you should be solving. And and you would use machine learning to do that or, or predictive analytics to do that. Well, the fact that you, given you have a benchmark, obviously, then you're trying to fo- foster that uh, North Star, that vision dialogue, which is very interesting, by the way. I'm going to check it again off, check out that benchmark. So, Greg, here's what I've heard. I've heard Look, um, rallying around strategy, governance, architecture, data, analytics, and skills, your six pillars that you focus on, uh, to drive that strategy and that North Star, you've got a proprietary benchmark uh, that's a survey of sorts that will help you determine where a client is in versus where they would long to be. So that helps you at least get a start on uh, their ultimate destination. What you find in terms of um, the well, everything's a use case, or you need a use case to really make it beneficial. So you you you've got that destination, and what you find is the most common use cases are some kind of sorting problems, which tend to be purchasing, um, churn, you know, different things of that nature, where you're you're using a propensity score uh, to evaluate um, and predict 
uh, like a client if they're going to churn or, or otherwise. Did I get that right? Yeah, I think that's about right. Yeah. Is there anything, I've got a couple more questions for you and I like to do a lightning round. I hope you're up for it. But are sure. there any, is anything that we uh, left unsaid or something that uh, we didn't get out that you want to make sure that the, the listeners hear? Uh, no, I, I think we covered pretty much everything in, in a lot of detail. So, so in Ironside, where can the, the listeners find more about uh, what you're doing? You know, just yourself as well as Ironside. What's the best place? Is it LinkedIn, or is it uh, Ironside has a site? I'm sure. Yeah, you can head out to ironsidegroup.com. Um, we're very active on our blog. We've got all of our experts and consultants that are contributing. Um, and they're pulling right from their day-to-day experiences, working with clients, what they're seeing in the trenches. Um, so there's a very uh, there's a very real aspect to what you're reading there. So I think that's a great resource. Um, LinkedIn is always great if you want to follow us on there. We're quite active, and, and that's a great way to stay up to speed on on what's new, uh, both on our blog and, and events that we're doing and, and things of that nature. Fantastic. Well, we, we at IBM also appreciate your partnership. Um, you're interfaced with the Global Leaf program that uh, I run, and so uh, you've been a good partner. So thank you for that, and we'll also put this in the show notes. If you're game, I like to have a little fun and ask you a few questions so people can get to know Greg Bonnet. Okay. <laughs> so, hey, look, the crazier the questions, the more people like it. But I've got some pretty easy ones for you. But uh, okay. just know that. All right. So a few questions, if you don't mind. One is, first off, you, know, you talk about the fact that, uh, hey, look, you're the uh, the VP of data and analytics strategy at Ironside. And some elements of CDO, CTO, one way or another, what's a day in the life for you look like? Um, I think the ideal day is is interfacing with clients. Um, so I'll say, for example, today, I had the great pleasure to um, sit down and interview the chancellor of a top 50 uh, U.S. Uh, higher education institution. Um, and that's, you know, very common as, as part of one of our strategy engagements. And, and those are really rich and enjoyable experiences for me because I get to learn a whole lot about a business or an industry. Um, and I get to bring my skill set to bear to help them solve for those problems. Um, so a lot of client interfacing, um, a lot of learning on, a, on an everyday basis. I think that's a really important thing for me. How do you learn then? How, how much time do you spend on learning, would you say? What percentage of your day spent on learning? Uh, I learn 24-7. Um, you know, every interaction I have, um, every person I talk to is an opportunity to learn something, um, to share something. So, you know, I I enter every interaction I have with a client with a very open mind. I don't presume to know the answer. Um, and I think that's really important. Um, outside of that, what about technology? Yeah. Just separate that. I get your point. And that's a, that's a very good point, but separate than that, how do you really like learn the technology, get up to speed while you're working tactically with all these clients? Great question. So um, just staying up on industry news, um, you know, I follow a number of different blogs, a number of different websites, uh, love podcasts, love audio books. Um, you know, I, I churn through, you know, three or four books a month on Audible uh, while I'm commuting and, and things and whatnot. So that's a great way for me to kind of keep in touch with with research and what's going on out in the space. Um, as it pertains to, you know, the, the complexity of the technology, I do like to get my hands on the dirt every now and then um, so I can understand what it's like to work and solve a problem. And, you know, for example, uh, a week or two ago, I was working with a 
um, opioid addiction treatment center, and they wanted to do a quick pilot to understand um, whether or not um, an incoming patient was going to kind of progress their treatment and, and leave in a better state than they came in. And so I had the opportunity to prepare a data set and engineer features based on the requirements and kind of understanding the heuristics of, of the clinical environment uh, and put together a quick, uh, quick model um, that, that proved that we, we were able to predict whether or not we we're going to have a positive outcome in a given patient situation. And so that was a really fun experience for me. It was, you know, nights and weekends, unfortunately, because, because the day job gets in the way. Um, but it was really fun for me to do that end to end to have empathy for what my data science team does and understand complexity or what, what they do. And also to help me understand how I can help them solve their problems better and, and help them optimize their processes and have better conversations with our clients. So that, that's another tactic nice. that I use. Yep. That's why we ask these questions. Nice. And you couldn't be like a more pressing issue with opioid addiction at, at this point in time. Jeez. Right. We, right. Um, and I'm sure you earned a lot of respect getting under the hood. Uh, very, very nice. But what pod, what, any podcast that you really like outside of this one, of course, <laughs> but any blogs, any books that you say, Hey, you got to go read this book. Oh man. Um, yeah, there's so many. One I read recently, um, I'm going to have to look up the author cause I don't have it. Actually, let me look it up right here on my audible subscription. We're just talking about this the other day. Um, the book is called nudge by Cass R. Sunstein and Richard Thaler. Uh, and just a really great book on a little bit touching on kind of behavioral economics, um, behavioral design and choice architecture. And I was fascinated by this and, it, and it, the book's been out for a while. So I'm sure many, many of your listeners have probably heard of it. Um, but I, I think these concepts are going to become more and more important as we're using algorithms to help us make decisions. Uh, we're creating the situation where we actually have fewer choices because the best choice is oftentimes the one the algorithm comes back with. Um, so we have to oftentimes think about maybe how we present results in a, in a, in a way that's going to be more acceptable um, to somebody that's making a choice. So that, that was kind of the angle I was coming at and reading the book, and, and I highly recommend it. I found it very entertaining and, and very informative about some of those concepts. What was the name again? Uh, the book is called Nudge. Nudge. Yep. Nice. Okay. Got it. Any, um, any podcasts or blogs too that you could recommend? Uh, yeah. So podcasts, I'm a, I'm a pretty regular listener to, um, there's a couple of good data science podcasts out there. One that's really accessible is uh, Linear Digressions. That's kind of a popular yep. data science co podcast. I, I think it's a great way for somebody who's trying to learn data science. Uh, they do such a great job of breaking down those, those complex concepts into ways that we can understand. Um, so highly recommend that one. Um, if you're looking to understand um, good applications of AI and data science technology, um, a big fan of the O'Reilly Data Podcast. Um, they, mm. they do a great job of kind of talking about the industry, the research. Um, so that's another good one to listen into as well. Perfect. Those are, the, those are good. That's good advice. All right, I got to ask you a few more questions. I can't let you off that easy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you're answering them too easy. No. Um, all right. So if you woke up tomorrow and you had 2,000 unread emails, you could only answer 300 of them. Which ones do you choose to answer? Oh, the ones that uh, my Google mail tells me are most important. <laughs> the ones so that are using scored, AI. Uh, the ones that are scored by the algorithm as the most important. Absolutely. Yeah. Got to eat our own dog food nice. here. 
<laughs> Good answer. Nice. Very, very. All right. So here's another tough. This is a tougher one. Tell me something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on. Oh, man. That is a tough one. <laughs> Take your time. I, you know, I don't know how to answer that. Um, okay. <laughs> you might, you Everybody know, agrees I, with you. Is that what you're saying? No, not at all, actually. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I tend to be persuadable. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll come into an argument with a point of view, but I'm, I can't so be always persuaded. Win. So, yeah, well, I don't win, but I am. I, 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 <laughs> uh, the better person to ask that question is my wife. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure she could answer it very <laughs> <Yeah>. quickly <laughs> and repetitively. <laughs> uh, yes, I, she could probably give you a thousand examples. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So with all the hard work you're doing as the VP of strategy, what are you working towards? I mean, what's your goal? I mean, and, and I, I'm really talking about your free time. You know, what, what's important to you? Um, you know, my my goal and objective, my mission um, that I'm really kind of obsessed with right now is making data science possible for for companies that think it's not possible for them. Um for, for those that you know, kind of think they're, they're kind of left on the sidelines right now in this revolution because they don't have access to the resources or the skills. Um, and, you know, they, they feel like they may not have a good handle on their data. You know, I, I've really enjoyed working with comp- companies like that, that, that kind of um, are looking to leapfrog or accelerate their journey, not necessarily take a linear path. Um, and so I'm constantly trying to work on ways where we can bring technology and automation and mentorship and coaching and, and everything we have to bear to to make that possible so we share we share a lot with that objective that's 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 my objective and my passion as well um, if if you could interview anybody in the industry who would it be and why oh man um, I really think I would enjoy talking to, and this is super geeky, um, but Daniel Kahneman. Um, <laughs> yes. Right. Uh, I just was so fascinated with, uh, the, there's a number of books that came out about uh, Kahneman and Tversky. Um, and, uh, you know, I read uh, his book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, right? Yeah. Um, and I was just really fascinated. Oh, I think he'd be a really interesting person to have a conversation with. So. So what would you, that is a great, uh, nicely done. At least, you know, it wasn't one of the CEOs that are prevalent today. You went, you went a different route and thank you for that. <laughs> what was the, uh, the, un, what is it? Michael Lewis's book? Um, the Undoing Project. Yeah. Yes. Another that was great. great. Yeah. It's just such a wild, you know, scenario, just the relationship and everything they did to break ground. And it's so relevant. Um, it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a woke moment to read, uh, that book or to read Kahneman's book and, and really just be self-aware of your own biases. And you can start to proactively like change the way you think about scenarios and, and just be a bit more open to things, um, catching yourself in those traps. So that's, that's really what's intrigued me. I, you know, I think that's like the foundation for people talk about data literacy and I think you should start there. Um, and that's, this is a, this is a great suggestion. I mean, this podcast right there is worth it. I mean, I have read The Undoing Project. I think it's terrific. And, you know, one thing, we've got a product here called OpenScale, which detects his bias and explainability. And, and the reality is, is if you're doing anything with AI, as far as I'm concerned, you've got to have solutioning around bias. And those books that we describe right there that you just don't even know the bias that's inherent to us all, if everybody would just read those books, 
I think they'd come back and I wouldn't even have to sell open scale. It would just sell itself oh, absolutely. at that point. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, one of the, now you got me excited and I'll, I'll keep this quick, but one of the stories that I really liked uh, was uh, a story uh, in the 1970s that they went through in the Undoing Project where they talked about, they brought, and I, I may have told this before, I, I certainly pitch it in some of my presentations because I think it's terrific, where they got, I think it was the Oregon Research Institute, got a bunch of doctors together and said, mm-hmm. we want you to identify stomach cancers. And, you know, like shapes, different attributes. I think they had seven attributes, size, shape, crater, color, that kind of thing. And this was in the 70s, mind you. And then they created a model. They said, well, we're going to model it, see if we can get it, you know, we can predict it via a model. Before we had all the, the, the you know, reduction in price with compute and storage, it made it all easier for us to do this stuff today. But anyway, they were creating, you know, this model. And then they brought the, the I don't, you, I'm probably preaching the choir. I don't know if you remember the story. But then they brought the doctors back together, and then they gave them 100 pictures. And what they didn't tell them is they put some of the same pictures in of these stomachs. And they went in there to identify them, in identify, see if they could beat the model. Anyway, they do all this, uh, you know, they, they, they rated the models on those seven attributes that they came up with. They sent it to UCLA, who did an assessment. They sent it back. And the results were unsettling. And that was that uh, not only did the doctors not agree with their peers, they didn't agree with themselves. And the model beat them. And I thought, you know, think about that, that kind of impact. That was in the 70s before we had the compute power that we have today. And think of what we can do that today if we use that. Uh, But I thought it was a great example. Yeah, that that was a phenomenal anecdote uh, from that, that book. Absolutely. Yeah. But they got a ton. Um, so look, uh, one more question, and then I will let you go back to your your regularly scheduled life, your your day in the life. Uh, what's <laughs> next for you? Oh, what's next? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think you know, big for for me and Ironside is really uh, continuing to to grow our data science practice. Um, you know, I think that's that's really the um, you know, at the forefront for us, that's a core to strategy. We think that that's how we're going to achieve our mission of uh, achieving business outcomes for our clients, solving business problems. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really doubling down there, um, continuing to kind of grow our team, uh, you know, onboard new tech technological skills there and uh, drive to results for our customers. So that, that's really what I'm focused on. Well, thank you, Greg, so much for being on. Uh, we got a lot of information uh, from your industry expertise. So uh, we appreciate it. And look, we'll continue to partner from an IBM perspective, but uh, I'd also like to personally partner with you. And uh, again, I can't thank you enough for being here. Uh, thanks so much, Al, for having me. This is a great conversation. <laughs> thank you so much. Until next time, guys, uh, be good. I'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple Podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, over and out.